Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back Sheikh Ahmed Al-Azari. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you so much for inviting me again. I'm very delighted. It's a great pleasure to have you back. Now, for those who don't remember, Sheikh Ahmed is a researcher in Islamic intellectual history, a teacher of Islamic traditional sciences, and the founder of the uh, Mufta Academy. The Academy offers specialized curricula in Islamic psychology, Islamic philosophy, and Islamic philosophy of education. And besides teaching at various academies around the world in both Arabic and English, he serves as a visiting fellow at the Tabar Foundation. And his work centers on addressing contemporary philosophical challenges through the lens of the Islamic tradition. And he'll be doing that today in a very important presentation. He's contributed to research projects that explore the relationship between Islamic thought and modernity. He is devoted to developing philosophical and spiritual frameworks that model an Islamic response to existential questions in the contemporary world. Now, today, Sheikh Ahmed has kindly agreed to discuss the sexual revolution in metaphysics. Now, this is a very important presentation, in my view, as will become apparent. And it's great that uh, Muslim intellectuals and thinkers like uh, uh, Sheikh Ahmed are um, getting involved in, in this particular subject so powerfully. Now, in the book, The Sexual Revolution, published in 1936, um, which was written by the Austrian psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, hopefully you pronounced that correctly, and presented presented a metaphysical critique of the family as the most important institution of religious heritage. So this book was written uh, in German in the 1930s, as we've just said, by this Austrian um, Reich, Reich uh, who was a colleague, maybe a friend of Sigmund Freud, actually. But uh, Reich argued that through the family, religious ideas related to faith, ethics, and the meaning of life are taught and religious conceptions of truth, goodness, and beauty are ingrained in the minds of individuals in society. And Reich aimed to deconstruct the traditional family because, in his view, it was the greatest obstacle to freedom in the modern sense. He believed that the birth of new so-called liberated human societies, free from the arbitrary constraints of religion, depended on the achievement of sexual uh, liberation. And indeed, he coined the term, the sexual revolution. This is his term, his expression. So we owe it to him. Um, in this regard, Wilhelm Reich argued that belief in God is not the result of economic repression, as uh, Karl Marx believed, but rather the result of sexual repression. In his theory, the class struggle and the proletarian revolution, as conceived by Marx, transformed from an economic and political conflict into a conflict between desire and modesty and a sexual revolution against the metaphysical foundations of the family. 
And this is in order to achieve liberation from any and all constraints for humanity. Now, that's quite a mouthful, but this guy, is um, uh, his thought is seminal, highly influential. Um, many uh, subsequent intellectuals like Foucault praised him, acknowledged his significance for changing the way the West sees the family, sees God, and so on. But we'll, we'll leave it there, and I, I'll leave it to you, uh, sir, to um, perhaps present uh, us um, and maybe this is the first time, actually, a Muslim thinker or intellectual has actually publicly engaged with the thoughts of this uh, uh, Austrian uh, intellectual from the 1930s, who had a most extraordinary life, by the way. If you Google him and look at his Wikipedia article, um, you, you will see an uh, unbelievable life that this guy, uh, this German psychoanalyst had. But that's perhaps, perhaps it'll come out in your presentation. So over to you, sir. So Jazakallah khair once again, thank you so much for inviting me and uh, I'm very honored and delighted. And um, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us truthfulness and sincerity in what we do. And may this uh, interview be beneficial to all of us in this world and hereafter. I mean, so let me just uh, give a, 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 a perhaps just a, a short message that I would want to get across, especially to your um, Muslim viewers, and then we can, you know, we can move on to the to the topic for today. Um, but since you mentioned, you know, the, the 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 notion of Muslim thinkers being engaged with this with this topic, mm-hmm. uh, especially publicly, I think one of the problems that we have been struggling with, or that we have been going through as Muslims, is that we all we, we for 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 so long we've been falling into the trap of trying to address you know, the, the, this, this whole notion of the sexual revolution and all the movements that sort of uh, grew out of it, um, dealing with it as a, as a halal or haram sort of issue, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, um, is it permissible or forbidden? Instead of addressing the philosophical underpinnings of, of, the, of these social phenomena that we kind of witness around us, um, it is either addressed through, uh, you know, the legal, you know, uh, ways through laws prohibiting in Muslim countries, or that shiuch would engage this on a on a halal or haram basis, speaking about how the Quran does not allow, you know, uh, uh, certain uh, sexual relationships and so on and so forth, but not really engaging with the philosophical underpinnings of it with the with the foundations of of what we're what we're seeing today and um i mean i think also that today's presentation or interview is um you know would be a very very uh, obvious uh, clear apparent example of of how ideas have consequences basically mm-hmm. uh, because uh, what we're witnessing today 2023 20, is something that was kind of the seed of it was planted almost a hundred years ago. Wilhelm mm. uh, Reich is not the only one, but he's obviously one of the, you could say one of the godfathers of the sexual revolution. He coined the term, as you mentioned um, in the, in the introduction. So, and, and we'll see inshallah, as we go through the, the slides that he didn't just, you know, merely come up with the idea of the sexual revolution as a, as a you know as an idea that is that is separated from philosophy he had certain philosophical positions and 
he based his positions towards sexuality and freedom and uh, the relationship between these two and politics and so on and so forth based on certain philosophical assumptions that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, um, perhaps I'll, I'll speak a little bit shortly, inshallah, during the presentation about Wilhelm Reich um, you know, and, and, and his biography, but it, but um, in it, um, I wouldn't take too long with that. I, th- I mean, you mentioned people can Google, uh, but um, I will mention what is necessary, basically, of his biography, inshallah, when we begin with the slides. So if you would allow me, inshallah, that we begin with that. Um, so uh, the sexual revolution metaphysics, I mean, this is, uh, this is an ongoing project, a research that... Um, that I started with uh, Taba Foundation that I'm that I'm working on, and uh, it was originally done in Arabic, by the way. So, I, but part of my part of my work is actually to, you know, I'm, I'm reading the different works of of Wilhelm Reich and then translating the the text to Arabic because even I mean, as as we we're mentioning earlier, that it's a uh, especially in the Arab world, Muslims are still, you know, the the way they look at the sexual revolution, they just see the surface of it. Um, um, oh, b- before before getting into that, I don't know if people could actually see the background of the presentation. And I, yeah, I, 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 I noticed that. Yeah, I mean, um, this is basically the, the the two graves. The 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 one on the I think that will be the on the for the viewers. I think will be right. on the on the left, right. It's uh, Hugh Hefner, who's yeah. the um, who's basically the founder of Playboy, and um, and on the right is Marlene Monroe's grave, and um, I think it's uh, it, 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 it's it's quite astonishing how they both rounded up being buried next to each other, because <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So um, Marlene Monroe, I think she she was the first one featured in Playboy, and um, what happened is that at some point in her life she had to um, she was basically. Um, she desperate for money, so she, you know, she had a photographer take, you know, pictures of her, um, and then those pictures later on um, were bought by Hugh Hefner um, from that photographer. So the, the the edition of Playboy that featured her pictures was was something that the pictures were taken years years before before Playboy, and um, she mentioned. Um, how she was sad that uh, you know she she didn't receive even a free copy of it. Wow. Uh, what is really what is really interesting is that um, you know the sexual revolution, as we'll see in the words of Wilhelm Reich, was about you know freeing the human being, and he puts great emphasis on the woman more than the man, and that women need to be liberated sexually, and um, when you compare you know, the lives of Hugh Hefner and Marlene Monroe, you could see how Marlene Monroe, she lived a, a very miserable, sad life. Hugh Hefner, the man, basically, I mean, he was, uh, until maybe just before he passed away, it was like a like a hot shot, like somebody people are, you know, um, <laughs> looking up to. Um, uh, uh, Marlene Monroe was 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 more on the you know was I, I, her her life was more dramatic than Hugh Hefner's, mm-hmm. uh, 
And you could see how, I mean, I'm just using that because it has this symbolic meaning of, you know, that the, the sexual revolution rounded up, you know, creating more injustice for women than mm. it, what, it, what it promised, mm. right? Mm. Uh, it was about freeing the woman from the, you know, the, the shackles of, of confinement that, that, the, that husbands are placing, you know, on, on their wives and so on and so forth. And then it rounded up, you know, women were more objectified than, than ever before. Mm-hmm. And still, the men got around with, you know, with things. Um, so it's just very symbolic how um, she was obviously buried there before him. And then he, I think he bought that place next to her and then he was buried wow. there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so coming to Wilhelm Reich, who's one of the godfathers, if not the godfather of the sexual revolution, um, born right at, at the end of the, uh, of the 19th century um, in, in, a, in an area, uh, Glacia, I think, or is modern day, in modern day Ukraine. Um, he passed away in Pennsylvania, uh, died in, 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 in prison. Um, because he was uh, accused of forming uh, 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 an illegal cult, um, mm. and, um, and without, re- I mean, there's a good reason why I looked into this, and there, there was very good reasons why he was in jail. I mean, this wasn't some kind of persecution of some poor Austrian psychoanalyst. The guy was involved in the most unbelievable activities, which maybe you'll come on to. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, he was okay. So, so he was he was tra- trained as a psychoanalyst. And there was a point of time um, in which there was a departure between him and Freud, and we'll come to it. Mm. Um, um, and then I, there was some point where basically Freud, after he was embracing him, and um, uh, uh, you know he was part of of of, of their society in a sense, um, he was uh, afterwards kicked out of, of, of from there. Um, uh, Freud kind of refused his. Um, you know his 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 presence. Um, now, uh, Wilhelm Reich, the the sexual revolution is tied to other works of his. He had a certain philosophy regarding the you could say the 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 even the human physicality basically, um, and um, and this is why you know for those. Of, of viewers who'll be interested later on to read into his works. I mean, they're tied together. So, you know, if you're reading the sexual revolution, you would also have to read into the function of the of the orgasm, um, which was published before that. Um, and you can see it's very interesting. I mean, before he wrote the sexual revolution, he wrote a book called The Function of the Orgasm, because many of the things that he will write in the sexual revolution are really based on how he how he views the function of the orgasm in the human um, in the human life and in the human existence, and he believed in a, 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 a in a in a form of a of an energy. Without getting into the details, because we have a lot of you know a lot to cover, um, but he believed in a in a in a like a form of energy that is called the the, the organ, um, and basically this organ has to be emitted from the person. Um, it, it cannot be repressed whatsoever. It has to be emitted and then it also received. So it goes, it's reciprocal in a sense. And that sort of like cycle. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dumbing down a little bit also his ideas just to make it easily uh, 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 digested. Um, so through, through that sort of reciprocal or that, through that cycle of emitting the organ and then receiving it, 
um, is where, you know, human health and vitality and also, uh, uh, you know, so, so mental well-being. And this, you know, we, we need to underline mental well-being. We, we, we're going to need it, inshallah, um, as, we, as we move forward um, in, 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 the, in the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, um, he, basically, he basically claimed that, that, that every time there is a, there is a failure to, to, dis- to discharge the organ, um, that could lead to neurosis in adults. Um, and this is very important because I, I think there, there will be a trend and it will materialize in my, in, my, in my hypothesis or in my estimation. It will materialize in the West very soon where um, those who oppose the sexual revolution, on, of diff- obviously the sexual revolution has different manifestations, but those who refuse it will eventually be accused of that, of neurosis. Mm. And maybe... I don't know, maybe one day be required to attend therapy because of that. Um, and, and you will see, I mean, you will see in his language how he, how he addresses things. Um, so uh, to, to, to sum up th- this part uh, uh, of the presentation about uh, Wilhelm Reich, um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, inshallah, very soon about the relationship between Wilhelm Reich and Freud on one hand, and the relationship between Wilhelm Reich and Karl Marx on the other hand, and how these two kind of are combined together in his in his philosophy. But the study of the of his of his life is very important as well. There, I mean, it's a there are a lot of details, a lot of events, a lot of circumstances. But if I were to mention something that is very important at the at the beginning, um, is that. He had a he had a, a, a personal experience as a child, a very a very daunting, very difficult experience. His his mother was uh, had an affair or was having an affair with one of his teachers, and um, he knew about that for for a period of time. And uh, he then brought it up to her that he will inform his father, um, and then um, his mother was. Uh, I guess so, 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 so scared, and it was fearing that he would tell his father. And um, you know, the story kind of built up to the point where um, that secret being revealed, she committed suicide. Um, so I, I guess he 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 kind of lived his life with that guilt that he was he was in a sense the cause for his mother's suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a very, a very, a very terrible experience for any child to go through. Um, to feel that they're the very reason why their mother killed herself. Um, so it was a, a very difficult childhood. Um, uh, now, I mean, his afterwards. I mean, he went to you know he went to different schools and he traveled uh, outside of uh, you know Glacia. Um, but I think that event in particular is very important and it kind of shapes, in my view, shapes many of his positions afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, later on, I mean, you mentioned about the, the, the cultish experiences that he, that he had in Pennsylvania um, or in the, in the U.S. in general, not, uh, not in Pennsylvania, I apologize, it was rather um, in the west uh, of the U.S., west coast, but, um, but he rounded being in jail in Pennsylvania. Um, 
But a part of it is, I mean, he had certain, you know, certain views about, you know, extraterrestrials. He had certain views about the, the organ that we that, that I mentioned earlier. He he kind of designed this uh, this metal kiosk um, that uh, and, and, and he believed that, it, you know, that being in, a, in seclusion inside that uh, in that kiosk, it kind of revitalizes the organ in, in one's body. Um, and there are a lot of details getting you know into that. Um, but well, by the way, sorry, I was just saying I was shocked to to uh, uh, when I was doing a bit of background reading on this that Albert Einstein of all people met uh, with Reich and actually seriously entertained this idea for several hours. There, there was a, a big meeting, and and uh, in, in ongoing exchanges, I think Einstein quickly realized how bizarre and discredited uh, his ideas were and, and stopped any contact with Reich. But for a while, he took him seriously. Einstein himself did in America, I mean. Right, right. Um, because, I mean, he, he speaks like a, like a scholar. I mean, when, we, I mean when, you, when you read his works, I mean, it's a, um, it, they're soft, sophisticated works. I mean, it's not like a, like a necessarily uh, like an easy read. Um, so, um, yeah, so he designed that, uh, you know, that, uh, 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 device of his, you may call it to revitalize the organ and, um, his house un until this very day, um, I mean, I, I apologize that I didn't put pictures of that, but his house until this very day, um, to my knowledge can be visited. It's like a, almost like a museum. Wow. And people people visit. They can see the you know the the the, the devices that he made and so on and so forth. Um, so I mean, again, I would. There's a lot. I mean, there's a, a lot of details um, to mention in terms of uh, you know in, in in his biography. So I, I would I would just refer um, readers to or viewers rather to read more uh, about his life. Yeah, um, the, as I say, the Google, if you Google, if you look at the Wikipedia article, it's actually uh, uh, very scholarly, lots of photographs. Um, you can read about his meeting with Einstein, uh, and you can read about Kate Bush, for example, and how she, uh, one of her, she's a very famous British uh, pop star, and how she actually, one of her videos uh, was about his his ideas. Uh, uh, but that's a different subject. So his influence on popular culture, I mean, it was quite widespread, not just in the intellectual world, but in, in the wider society. Right, correct, correct. Um, and there is actually, there is, um, uh, there is a, a very, um, uh, there's a thorough uh, biography, um, which is called Fury on Earth um, um, by Myron Sharoff, um, uh, which is uh, Fury on Earth, a, bi a biography of Wilhelm Reich. I think that that is the most thorough, thorough um, reference in terms of his uh, the biography of Wilhelm Reich. Um, so I would I would refer to the viewers to that book. Um, yeah. So let me begin. You know, with the very perspective that we want to discuss today in terms of the sexual revolution and metaphysics. Uh, Wilhelm Reich in the sexual revolution in the work and and uh, you know I mentioned the page numbers um, and, and the book is uh, is available for is in public domain so I mean you, you you'll find it online um, 
So he basically rejected the metaphysical origin of sciences. We touched upon that in the previous interview about uh, answer to modernism um, and uh, the rejection of the hierarchy of sciences. Um, so basically, Wilhelm Reich believed that, that there is no objective, in a sense, um, for no, no metaphysical objective for biology. So the way we exist as human beings, our biology, our, our organs, our systems, and so on and so forth, they're there because they're there, right? There isn't, there isn't an ultimate objective, for example, for the sexual organs, that it would be, um, you know, reproduction, for example. No, mm -hmm. there isn't an actual, an ultimate objective of, of, um, of how we exist. Um, and, he, and he says, he says, you know, um, he says that predominantly or exclu exclusively biologistic concept of the sexual urge as being the in service of procreation is a method of repression, right, on the part of conservative sexology. It is a finalistic, idealistic concept. It presupposes a goal which of necessity must be of a supernatural origin, meaning a metaphysical origin for biology. So the, the hierarchy of sciences pre-modernism is that the metaphysics is the foundation of all sciences. And then it, it kind of defines the, 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 the subject for each of the disciplines or the sciences that would kind of branch out from there. So, you know, metaphysics would, from it, it would, natural philosophy would branch out and then all the different sorts of, of sciences, including biology. And therefore, um, there, is a, there is a connection between metaphysics and, and a science like biology. So he says it presupposes a goal which of necessity but must be of a, of a supernatural origin. And then he says it reintroduces a metaphysical principle and thus betrays a religious or mystical prejudice. Um, so, so Wilhelm Reich, basically, he, he, he kind of separates biology from metaphysics. Um, now, this is very interesting. Um, um, you know, uh, the pre-interview, I mentioned, uh, um, I mentioned uh, Augusto Del Nucci, um, who authored the, the crisis of, um, uh, of modernity. And there is a chapter in that book designated to uh, the sexual revolution and the discussion of Wilhelm Reich's uh, uh, work, The Sexual Revolution. Um, and, and he speaks about that notion as well. Um, that sort of separation that happened between metaphysics and and biology. Um, now, again, before moving on, I, I know I'm, I'm perhaps I'm overemphasizing it, um, but you could see how the consequence of that, just the mere separation of biology from metaphysics, how it could lead, how consequentially it will eventually lead to you know just grave and massive outcomes. Yeah, it's very important, as, you, as you've done, uh, to understand the philosophical uh, presuppositions of this kind of thinking. It's not just a question of halal haram, as you were saying, although that's perfectly valid, of course, but to uh, have a deeper understanding of the, of the intellectual movement and the genealogy of these ideas, we need to understand uh, uh, sentences like this, you know, the metaphysical uh, disconnect between uh, the metaphysical realm between God as creator, as designer, and... and and biologies, uh, and Reich was clearly an atheist uh, and, and denied God or any metaphysical conception of his work. Right, so, so um, 
Exactly. So th th this is the point that I, you know, I always try to bring it to students of knowledge, to shiuch, people who are involved in the religious, this, the Muslim religious discourse. Um, that as much as it's, it's important to speak about the halal and haram part, it's also important to speak about these issues because that you know in the West, because also there's the politics of the sexual revolution and how it's being used by you know certain regimes, for example, or governments to put pressure on other governments and this and yeah. that. But you know, so and they and they, and it becomes just a question of tolerance and human rights. But it it's it's much deeper than that. It, it the the origins of it precedes the whole discussion on you know tolerance or human rights or halal haram. Um, yeah. So and then so this is you could say this is the first foundation. Biology. Our biology has no ultimate objective. The reason we have sexual organs. Uh, is not procreation. There isn't actually a, a reason, like a, an, a a reason for that. It just exists, right? So this is the first philosophical position of his. Now, the second philosophical position is related to morality, related to ethics. Um, and he has a book called The Invasion of Compulsory Sex Morality. Right? And this, again, I emphasize why it's important when you read Someone like Wilhelm Reich, you have to read all of his works together because the ideas kind of connect from one book to another. So he says, he says, finally, I came across. Now, he, th this is where he discusses his relationship with Marxism. Uh, one of the instances in which he does that. So he says, finally, I came across Marx and Engels. Okay, who enabled me to understand much of the mechanism of our material existence, and I was amazed that I had attended secondary school and university without ever hearing, without ever having heard of them. He says, later I understood why. According to Marx and Engels, class interest and class conflict determine our present day existence. Also, our philosophy and our research. Behind their objectivity, class interest is operative. And then he says, and this is the this is this is the key sentence here that he kind of ends this paragraph with. Morality is a social product, so it doesn't have any any real existence. Basically, uh, that moral standards are not you know they're they're kind of just a, a, a construct, right? Morality is a social product that rises and then passes away. And in the class state, it is in the service of the ruling class. What we'll realize very soon is that what happened is that Wilhelm Reich basically, he officiated a marriage between Freud on one hand with, a, with, with some tweaking because he accepts Freud to a certain extent and then he departed from Freud as well as Marx and Engels as well. He will depart from them. But basically, he created a marriage between the two, between Marx on one hand and then uh, uh, Freud on the other hand. Um, so, as we'll soon, we'll soon um, you know, discover, if I, if I were to summarize, um, you know, Wilhelm Reich in, in, in very few sentences, he basically sees it as follows. Marx thought that, you know, the problem is the church, in a sense. The church is the one that kind of indoctrinates, indoctrinates the individuals. And that is in the, surf, in the service of, you know, authoritarian regimes or rulers. 
So then Wilhelm Reich says, okay, actually the problem is not the church. The problem is the family. Because the family, is in a, I mean, he doesn't say that, but you know, this is, you know, I'm kind of like paraphrasing and also kind of, you know, mentioning what he says in terms of what, what it indicates. So the family, the problem is the family, not the church, because the family is the one that takes the children to the church, right? So the church indoctrinates, but, but the church wouldn't go to the children. The children come to the church in a sense, right? So the family is the one that rounds up serving the authoritarian regimes or rulers, right? Um, and, and in a sense, he sees that regimes or authoritarian regimes, they're not using the, the, the religious institution. They're actually using the family institution so that the family institution would construct, would create moral standards that would eventually benefit the rulers and therefore morality for Wilhelm Reich is not there are no absolute moral standards moral standards are just as he mentions they they rise and and, and then pass away um, they don't have an actual ground in terms of in, 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 in terms of truthfulness or or being absolute um, and this is the second philosophical position of his so the first philosophical position there is no ultimate objective of our, of our biology. There is a disconnect between biology and metaphysics. Number two, that morality is, is a social product. It rises and passes away. And he kind of proposed, uh, uh, you know, what he, what he calls a... Um, he proposed what he calls self-regulation. Um, so he has self-regulation rather than moral standards. Right? He says morality functions as an obligation. And then he says it is incompatible with the natural gratification of instincts. So what he proposes, he says self-regulation follows the natural laws of pleasure and is not only compatible with natural instincts, it is in fact functionally identical with them. And he says, moralistic regulation creates a sharp, irreconcilable, psychic, no, psychic contradiction. Morality, i.e. morality, contra nature. Right? So not only, not only that morality is, is a social product, it's actually unnatural, basically. This is what he's saying. Morality is unnatural. Right? So this is why I was saying earlier that it will... Eventually, the sexual revolution will reach that point in the West where that, you know, whoever holds certain moral positions or ethical positions that are contrary to the sexual revolution, they will be deemed to be unnatural. Uh, um, and then he says, um, uh, it, it thus intensifies the instinct and this in turn necessitates increased moralistic defense. It precludes an efficient circulation of energy in the human organism. Energy, we talked about the organ that he had in, kind of invented. Um, he says self-regulation withdraws energy from an unrealizable desire by transferring it to a different goal or partner. You know, see this, this statement, um, which is the one before last in this paragraph. He says self-regulation withdraws energy from an unrealizable desire by transferring it to a different goal or partner. 
So this is what he, uh, th this is, you can see he's saying that in the function of orgasm. He's speaking about morality in the function of orgasm. Um, and again, for the viewers, you could see how these philosophical aspects are not separated from such social positions, like, you know, the, the, the positions of the sexual revolution. Mm. Um, so can I, can I just, 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 just sure, a quick sure. observation? I mean, the context that Reich is writing, obviously, as, as a European and later in America, is, is in Christian, Christian West. Uh, in the, right. He was born in the 19th century, uh, Reich. Um, and I mention this is because um, historically Christianity has been quite what we would call today sex negative. It's been very quite repressive sexually. I mean, um, right. repressing desires is the sense that we must uh, push down. Uh, but but Islam, uh, I mean, we're not talking about Islam yet, but Islam is not like that. And it is much more vertical as sex positive. It doesn't have this repressive uh, morality that the so I, I think Reich is, is critiquing a particularly Western slash um, Christian um, repressive milieu, that that's what he's addressing. It, it's not really relevant in that sense to an Islamic uh, perspective, which doesn't have that issue, I, I don't think. Historically, it's been quite sex positive. You know, there hasn't been this repressive morality at all. Um, so I just want to kind of contextualize it into that kind of religious environment that he's addressing and rather than universalizing it as a critique of religion as such or metaphysics as such or god as such i i think really implicit in that is this repressive christian milieu that he's rebelling against in a way and you see that in the french revolution you see that in these upsurges of rebellion against uh the church in the west 1789 being the most famous one uh, but others since then and again it's it's really is a kind of a western neurosis it's not really an islamic one although it's been imported into the Muslim world, of course, for other reasons. I agree, but but there's an, also there's an aspect other than the other than the Christian position or the you know or the you could, you could say the Christian culture, um, but there is also there is also an aspect that is kind of connected to the emergence of capitalism as well. Because I mean, I didn't include that in my presentation. Interesting. Um, but I mean, I, I'll mention it. But it's in the, it's in there in the in the sexual revolution. He speaks about the relationship between the sexual satisfaction of the of the wife in in a, in a capitalistic society, and he connects that to the nature of 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 modern jobs, right? Wow. Um, so basically, he he's. And the way he describes it is very interesting. And actually, you can, you can, and sometimes you can agree with him on the diagnosis, right? right. But you wouldn't necessarily agree with the solution. So he's, the way he sees it, he says, okay, he says, so, so the, 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 the capitalistic, you know, companies are, you know, they have their employees, they work for X number of hours, they give them so little, and, there, and there's a lot of housework to do. Now, the, the, the man, the man is, uh, you know, is working, let's say, for, for, for nine, ten hours plus commuting. So they round up becoming 12 hours away from home. They come back home. They're so tired. They cannot do anything in their house chores or anything of that sort. So the one who has to carry all of this is the woman. Mm -hmm. And then she doesn't get any sort of economic... Um, any sort of economic compensation for that work. By the way, again, you mentioned. I mean, in what you you did this comparison because in Islam, the if the woman she if she serves at home, 
she has the right to to receive compensation if not from the man immediately meaning like as she's doing it but maybe from inheritance for example there's actually a, a, a in at al azhar mosque about 300 years ago roughly there was a a, a case that was studied um, by the Shafi'i, Nuruddin Nur al-Zayadi, who was the, 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 the sheikh of the Shafi'is uh, at the Azhar Mosque then, um, where a woman, um, uh, uh, her, her husband passed away, and she demanded to receive compensation from, his, from the inheritance before it's being divided for all the housework that she has done. And there was a discussion between Shafi'i scholars without getting, because I don't want to diverge into, you know, like a, a marginal issue, but what happened was that there was a deliberation because... You know, they, they, the Shafi'i scholar said that husband is mandated to inform his wife that, that it's not an obligation for her to, to do housework, right? In terms of like cleaning, doing chores. These are not mandatory. If she does them, this is out of like a goodwill. You know, he does extra, she, she does extra, that type of thing. But she's not mandated to do those house chores. Um, and then she, she said, I want to be compensated because I didn't know that I was not supposed to do them. Or I apologize that I'm not obligated to do them, so I want to be compensated. They had a, you know, they had this deliberation, and then Nuruddin Zayadi eventually the, the the verdict was that she has the right to be compensated from the inheritance for all the for all the years of of service in her house. You say this is three hundred years ago. This exactly in Egypt, obviously. I mean that that yeah. that, that, yeah. that, yeah. that, that very very enlightened, uh, you know, um, the positive uh, ruling, obviously, yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, there are examples like this. Um, there are examples like this, and there are, there are examples in the Maliki Madhab also on on how if a if a you know if a woman does house chores and that in a sense enables the man of a certain job that 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 kind of you know gives her a claim over some financial rights because she's kind of enabling him to do that work in right. a sense. Um, and that is, I mean, it goes hundreds of years back. But uh, coming back to Wilhelm Reich, so he speaks about that the woman is in a is in a in an economic position that she has to she has to give in to the to 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 you know to that um, uh, sexual confinement as he as he might call it um, uh, or repression hmm. that. She, she might not be satisfied sexually in, 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 in the marital relationship, but she has to, she has to uh, live with it in a sense, right? Why? Because she needs the man financially and, and, and she is, uh, you know, she, she faces that dissatisfaction and she faces that oppression in terms of the sexual oppression. And then he speaks about another sort of oppression that the woman goes through is that she has to do those house chores to enable the man to be financially capable of having money to open the household. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a, the whole dynamics between capitalism and, uh, you know, and, and he connects that to the sexual relationship between the husband and the, and the wife. So that nature of capitalism is in the Arab world or the Muslim world, rather. I apologize. I keep saying the Arab world because, you know, I come from the Arab world. I apologize. The Muslim world is much more, you know, uh, diverse than that. But um, it is it is in the Muslim world. I mean, it came through, you know, colonization and then globalization and so on and so forth. So I mean, it, and this is this is the 
this is the issue that modernism we kind of you know in the muslim world we 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 sort of it was it was infused in in the culture without people realizing mm-hmm. so uh, coming back he promotes sex, uh, apologies he promotes self regulation you know instead of uh, moral standards and he sees that self regulation this is more you know, more in line with nature now we said that he was connected with freud um mm-hmm. freud maintained that that sexual repression um is is necessary he says freud maintained that sexual repression was the most important prerequisite of cultural development culture was built on repressed sexuality that's the freud's position now i mean freud sees the sexual desire as you know the primary motive for 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 human decisions basically in a sense um and wilhelm reich agrees with that but then freud sees that there 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 needs to be some form of a sexual repression for civilization or for development um to 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 culture development to to exist but then wilhelm reich says no he disagreed with freud on that he said for a time one could accept this but eventually see he says for a time one could accept because this is what he may, maybe he had done i mean he accepted you know the 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 whole freudonian uh, you know a, a paradigm and then at some point he says but eventually it could not be overlooked that the sexually ill neurotic person was culturally by no means the equal of the sexually healthy gratified person now you could see how the, the I really want the viewers to know the language that he's using. It's it's very important. He says the sexually ill neurotic person uh, um was by no means equal of sexually healthy gratified uh, gratified person. So he departed from Freud on that. Um and then he says also he says, says since my clinical work had firmly convinced me that the sexually gratified man is also more productive in the cultural sense. I could not possibly answer the above question the above question which is is sexual repression is um a, an indispensable component of cultural development he says according to freud's line of reasoning so he departed completely from freud on that aspect and then he falls into a, a, um a what we call the naturalistic fallacy um uh, this is a, another aspect of you could say of of philosophy in the sexual revolution He says the the first prerequisite for healthier human and sexual relationships is the elimination of those moral concepts which base their demands on allegedly supernatural commands on arbitrary human regulations or simply on tradition. He says ethics too should be based on the findings of advancing science. And 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 remember CD Paul when we when we met uh you know uh 2 months ago we were we mentioned uh the moral landscape of uh, uh of Sam Harris and how he wanted to provide science as as the standard for morality and you could see that Sam Harris here was uh, was was preceded by Wilhelm Reich in that claim mm-hmm. he says ethics too should be based on the findings of advancing science he says we cannot thoughtlessly let something remain a moral demand that was true in earlier times and only serve the purpose of certain classes to us the touchstone of what is moral is whether it leads to a richer and more harmonious life individual and social so um the naturalistic fallacy basically there is a different there's a difference between 
what is happening versus mm-hmm. what ought to happen, right? So science science can describe what is happening, but it doesn't it doesn't prescribe what should happen, right? In terms of in terms of morality, um, morality is not something to be to be discovered in a lab. But he does that fallacy that science kind of discovers what's going on and then he kind of jumps from discovery you know the 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 discovery or the description of of the how of things to dictating what should take place or what should not then uh, this is very interesting reich had some prophecies um and um you could see that these prophecies <laughs> happened. I have you indeed. Absolutely. He says, yeah, he says, in the process of the social revolution. Oh, so re- remember I said earlier, uh, he kind of combined the, you know, the, uh, to a certain extent, Freud with, again, to a certain extent, Marx. So this Marxist revolution in, 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 in Wilhelm Reich's philosophy became a social revolution. Right. Um, so he says the in, in the process of the social revolution in the old form of the family will inevitably disintegrate. So he's writing this in 1936, isn't it? Well, this is when it was published. Uh, exactly. So, uh, I mean, so every, this is prophetic. This is not the status as it was, but what he envisages the future will become. Right. Right. I mean, I think every person, whether they <clears throat> believe in this sexual revolution Again, it's the sexual revolution, never, you know, thought of the sexual revolution, whatever it may be. Any person, I guess, in the West reading that statement that it was written almost 100 years ago could, could you know, relate to it some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. It says in the process of the social revolution, the old form of the family will inevitably disintegrate. The family feelings and attachments of the masses, now no, which nevertheless continue to exist, must be taken into account through ever-repeated public discussion of the problems as they come up. So, you know, tolerate, you know, people when they voice their opinion that there, there, there is family, dis- you know, d- d- disruption in a sense. You know, accommodate, accommodate them as they, you know, as they scream, you know, uh, 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 they scream out their lungs because, you know, families are so detached. Just accommodate them. But... The families will di- disintegrate. Um, now, I mentioned, I mean, I just mentioned, uh, you know, this prophecy. Um, and we're speaking about morality as well. You could see here in this, uh, in the, in this slide, uh, this is also from the invasion of compulsory sex morality. Um, um, uh, he he kind of continues you know this relationship of uh, you know how, how the uh, the relationship of of morality with dictatorial regimes and the family he says under dictatorial regimes the authoritarian suppression of the child serves to produce an expedientally submissive structure in conformity with the organization of society in general which constantly reproduces itself in the child and then he says the parents are the exact now what is the relationship between that and the prophecy? Because it, in a, I mean, it's a prophecy, but it's, it was also a wish. It was an objective of his. Yeah. It says the parents are the executive instruments of the ruling order, 
and the family its ideological factor. I mean, that statement is 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 so amazing in a sense that you know it says the parents are the executive instruments of the ruling order and the family its ideological factory so you could see when he says that that the social revolution with the social revolution what will happen is that families will disintegrate why because the families should disintegrate so that the parents no longer serve as an executive instrument for the ruling order in, in the view of William Reich. And therefore, that mm-hmm. ideological, so what he calls ideological factory will kind of like cease to work or cease to yeah. exist. I think, just thinking of one very recent example, perhaps of that is the way that families, uh, parents, I should say, in the West, whether it be France or Britain or many places in America, um, uh, um, have had their role as educators taken away and that function is given to the state. So when it comes to um, mm. highly controversial um, uh, concepts like LGBT and so on, uh, this has now been uh, enforced on children in schools, and but parents are usually denied the right, in America that has been the case, uh, to withdraw their children from this, so that they are no longer the executive instruments of the ruling order, the family is no longer the ideological factory, the state has become that, the state is the ideological factory now, and parents uh, have had their powers to be executive executives removed that they, they can no longer uh develop and and, and uh, uh form their children in healthy religious values that that has been removed and given to the state which of course is secular in europe and and, and in america so this is just the latest installment i would suggest of this uh, um program that he clearly wishes to see become a reality even in the 1930s uh, and this, of course, is the destruction of the family, uh, um, but where parents have rights um, to teach and protect and encourage and nurture their children. That's been systematically removed by law and given to the state and to politicians, basically, who decide what children, what values children should be inculcated in. But what is really ironic, though, is that he wanted to disintegrate the family because the family is serving the rulers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is really ironic because, I mean, it, it's, a, yeah. it's the same irony that we began yeah. with, you know, Marlene Monroe and, yeah. um, uh, 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 you know, and, and Hugh Hefner. You know, the sexual revolution created more oppression for the women. Mm-hmm. Now it's giving more power to the state. He, he want, yeah. I mean, he, was, he, was di- he wanted to disintegrate the family to, to, you know, not allow the state of having that grip over societies but and the, instead, say it's very ironic and, and you say the secular liberalism which is supposed to liberate people liberalism give them freedom and autonomy and so on is ending up producing precisely the opposite producing authoritarian structures which force people to accept certain views which we all know about so it is a great irony it's a great paradox i agree right right exactly exactly mm. yeah then um you know we said the 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 you know the the sexual revolution and metaphysics, and you know as you mentioned in your introduction, that it's a, you know, the, the, it, it's a, it's basically almost like a I would call it like a, a a metaphysical attack on the family because family, you know, the notion of family, the concept of family is a is a metaphysical concept in the sense that it has been divinely decreed by the creator, right. Um, and in that sense, and also in the sense that our biology has, a, has an ultimate objective, 
So there is a there are metaphysical foundations for why for why families exist. And if we speak specifically in Islam, I mean, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala when He speaks about uh, you know when He speaks about marriage, He says وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنْفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا You know that what one of His signs that He has created of, uh, for you from your own selves uh, spouses. So that you may find serenity and 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 and, and peace or calmness with them, um, and I always, you know, I always in, in classes, I, I you know, I, I tell students that you know every time you find a verse in the Quran that begins with "wamin ayatihi" and amongst his signs, then this verse has to do with with tawheed, with monotheism, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is one, and you know when we contemplate about what is the relationship between the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and the verse about, about, you know, about marriage. Um, I say that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all perfect and he, is, he, has, he has the divine names of beauty and the divine names of majesty. Right? And, and, the, and, and the, the entirety of them is, is, is the perfection, is the divine perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then men were created externally majestic and internally, uh, meaning externally, they, they reflect the, the divine majesty and internally they have a reflection of divine beauty. Women are the opposite. Their, their external is a reflection of divine beauty and their internal is a reflection of divine majesty. And only through that marriage, that coming together of beauty and majesty, is that perfection for each of them, the man and the woman would manifest. And that would be a sign of the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and, you know, and that happens in marriage. I mean, in marriage, for a woman, for example, she endures the, the most the, or the severest natural pain a human being could ever go through, um, you know, in pregnancy and in giving birth. And that is that is a reflection of majesty because power and strength is is a reflection of majesty. But that would not happen unless of marriage. Uh, um, so a woman would would actualize her internal majesty through her husband, and the husband would also um, actualize his internal beauty through you know through his wife. Um, so marriage is 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 in a sense is a is a is a you know is a, a, a is a sacred metaphysical human phenomena that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created. Now, on the other hand, Wilhelm Reich sees marriage as a contradiction, mm-hmm. not as something that would come together to kind of complete where man and a woman would not find that completeness unless they come together in within the institution of marriage Wilhelm Reich sees marriage as a uh, as a contradiction so uh, i have two slides of that uh, i know we might be you know i hope that we have the the, the time but um, mm. the, okay so the, the first one he says marriages could be good at least for a certain period of time if there were sexual harmony and gratification and then he says this would however Presuppose an affirmative education, premarital sexual experience, and emancipation from conventional morality. Again, from conventional morality, mm-hmm. he says. But the very thing that might make 
for a good marriage means at the same time it's it's doom. He says, for one sexuality is affirmed, once moralism is overcome, there is no longer any inner argument against intercourse with other partners except for a period of time during which faithfulness based on gratification exists, but not for a lifetime. He says, the ideology of marriage collapses, and with it, the marriage. It is no longer marriage, but a permanent sexual relationship. Such a relationship, because of the absence of suppression of genital desires, is more apt to prove happy than strictly monogamous marriage. Wow. So, mm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the, the, these words are very um, uh, contemporary, even though they were written nearly a century ago, as you say, they ring true. This is a description of our, of our world in many ways. And I'm just reminded of a, I did a video about this, um, a recent Times survey, the Times of London did a, a survey of Church of England priests and ministers asking for their views on these kinds of subjects. And the, mm. the majority now not only affirm so-called gay marriage, perhaps not surprisingly, but also think that fornication or premarital sex is perfectly fine. Majority of priests in the church now think it's fine. Mm. And you, know, you mentioned about premarital sexual, he mentioned premarital ex sexual experience um, as being a, a, a presupposed by a, a satisfactory relationship. And I kind of thinking that even the church, tragically, the churches are now being affected or affected by this kind of uh, outlook uh, themselves. And that qu a quite remarkable change from the historic, uh, very strict, um, what you would call strictly monogamous marriage advocacy of the churches. So that, that they too are going through their revolution as we speak, indeed. Uh, which is very unfortunate. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you could see you could see here how I mean he how he ends this paragraph by saying you know it, it is no longer marriage but a permanent sexual relationship. Yeah. It, it, this is what what is exactly happening. But then, um, you know what it, what I really the, you know, this whole connection between as he says you know is is more apt to prove happy than strictly. So basically, there is a this is also related. This is I mean this is a philosophical position as well, in mm -hmm. in a sense like. What defines happiness? Right? Mm -hmm. What is happiness? What is happiness is a philosophical question. Mm. What is the definition of, of pleasure? What is the definition of pain? What is the definition of happiness? What is the definition of sadness? Um, these are philosophical concepts. I mean, Ibn Sina has a, I mean, there's a treatise I, I, I actually taught at workshops by Ibn Sina which is a treatise on, a, on philosophical consolations uh, on sadness. But he begins the, the treatise by defining what sadness is, for example. So this, these notions about happiness and sadness were defined in you know, pre-modernism in, in, in philosophy. Or there, at least there, you could say their definitions were sought through philosophy. So when he says that, you know, he's basically saying that happiness and marriage are not reconcilable. They're not, you know... <laughs> Um, it, it, it's not something, happiness is not necessarily something that you could seek through marriage. Um, and then you can find, when you read between the lines, you find how that for him, ma before marriage became no longer marriage and became a sexual relationship, why did it become a sexual, a, a long-term sexual relationship? Because marriage for him, I mean, remember, I mean, the very first paragraph he began with, with 
which is that biology has no metaphysical background mm -hmm. and that sexual desire has no ultimate objective. So when a husband and a wife, they get married, it's not about procreation, right? Procreation is not even an objective. So what is the objective is for the sexual relationship to take place. Hmm. And and then he and then he he kind of elaborated that through his book, the function of of the orgasm. It's for the organ to just you know to be emitted and received. Hmm. And this is why he used uh, previously he used the the term partner. We'll, we'll speak soon about his position towards homosexuality. Hmm. Um, um, but he and he uses these sort of you know. Uh, uh, general terms. He doesn't use a woman, doesn't use a, hus a man, husband, he, he just used partner. So the whole point, it, it, you might, he, he, was, he was saying that there's no objective for the sexual desire, but then he kind of, in, in, you know, uh, 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 proposed an objective, which is that cycle of the organ being emitted and then received. And then mm -hmm. seeking a partner to kind of deliver that organ to them, and then or and also receive that organ from them as well, and just going like that, you know, in cycles. Um, he continues on, you know, with the you know the uh, his position towards towards marriage, and this particular. This particular paragraph, I think, it resonates with what we're talking about or, uh, at the very beginning of the um, of the interview when we speak about his uh, personal experience as a child. Hmm. So he says, marriages could be good. At, um, apologize. Um, yeah, he says, a woman who satisfies who satisfies her sexual demands with more than one man is not necessarily infantile. She just does not fit the ideological pattern of our society. I, I just cannot separate this from what happened with his mom. Mm. I just cannot. I mean, it, 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 and then he says, she does not, okay, she does not fit the ideological pattern of our society. She's not sick, but is apt to fail ill if she adjusts more to conventional morality than her sexual demands can stand. You know, for some, I mean, you could feel like he's compensating his mom. In it. I mean, he's trying to, you know, like, like, you know, fix what he did by helping maybe other mothers who are suffering. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, it, it just, it, it makes you think, like, you know, if that was connected to his, his childhood experience. So, but anyways, he says she, she's not sick, but is apt to fall ill if she uh, adjusts more, uh, more to conventional morality than her sexual demands can stand. More attention should be paid to the fact that the good, quote-unquote, good wives, those adjusted to reality, that is, those who have accepted the burden of marriage seemingly without conflict, because they are sexually inhibited, present, all the signs of a pre, apologize present all the signs of a neurosis okay. now you could see that he's he's basically he again he he makes that claim he's 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 making that claim that women who who adjust quote unquote as he says adjust to reality or are adjusted to reality they suffer from neurosis this is what he's basically saying if if the woman um does not actualize 
certain sexual desires and gratification by, ha by having sexual relationships outside of marriage, then she will suffer from neurosis. This is what basically what he's basically saying. Now, we, we mentioned earlier his, you know, his position that, that, that we're going to talk about his position on homosexuality. So he does not now he Willem Reich did not promote homosexuality per se, but he was calling for more tolerance towards it. Um, so in the sexual revolution, he says, in summary, one can say the following homosexuality among adults is not a social crime. It does not harm. It does no harm to anybody. Two, it can be reduced only. People will be surprised when they, when, when they hear this. It can be reduced only by establishing all necessary prerequisites for a natural love life among the masses, which is open, free sexual relationships between men and women. So we saw that open, free sexual relationships between men and women could lead to less homosexuality. Now, the sexual revolution gave birth to the porn industry. There are connections between porn and homosexuality. And when I do programs with high school students and, you know, speak to them about, you know, the, 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 the ramifications of being exposed to porn is that porn could manifest, being exposed to porn could manifest in, 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 in some um, uh, individuals uh, uh, developing homosexual inclinations. Now, I'm not saying that homosexuality is necessarily caused by porn. And I'm also, by the way, not saying that genes doesn't have to do with it either, because at the end of the day, any phenomena is not uh, based on a single factor. It's usually a host of things, right? It could be some 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 sort of a potential a genetic potential plus certain nurturing plus certain you know being exposed to certain things i mean it's not any any human phenomena is is very complex it cannot be you know you cannot pinpoint a single factor that caused it and not any other but i tell the students i tell them if you have any sort of you know any sort of potentials you don't you, you would not know and if you're exposed to porn, then that sort of homosexual tendencies could then uh, could then manifest. So he was so he was basically saying open, free sexual relationships between men and women before marriage and during marriage would be ultimately the way to reduce homosexuality. What we're seeing is that I mean people could agree or disagree, but more homosexual relationships than, than before the sexual revolution. And then third, he says, until this goal can be achieved. So basically he's saying, until we achieve the point where there's less homosexual relationships, it must be considered a mode of sexual gratification alongside the heterosexual one and should, with the exception of the seduction of adolescents and children, not be punished. So that was his position towards homosexuality. He did not promote it, but he was actually pro promoting tolerance towards it. Um, right. Now, since we spoke about tolerance towards homosexuality 
and how William Reich is, was, you know, was kind of uh, 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 promoting that. Now we come to the sexual revolution and tolerance. Um, he says, you know, now again, I think viewers will be astonished when they when they hear the, these statements. He says, religion should, should not be fought, but any interference with the right to carry the findings of natural science to the masses and with the attempts to secure their sexual happiness should not be tolerated. Should not be tolerated. Then it would soon be apparent whether the church is right in its contention of the supernatural origin of religious feelings. However, children and adolescents should at all times be, re be, rigidly, be rigidly protected Again, it's the implanting of sexual anxiety and sexual guilt feelings. Now, see, see the statement, children and adolescents. And this is what, exactly what's happening in, in high schools. Mm -hmm. um, he says, children and adolescents should all times be rigidly protected against the implanting of sexual anxiety and sexual guilt feelings. Right? And with the, with, with the you know, transsexual surgeries that are being done to adolescents, right, and, and, and how, how children are taken away from their parents and so on and so forth. It, it, what's happening is it's like he wrote a, a, you know, a prescription or a prescriptive plan in a sense, and it was executed fully. Um, and you can see the intolerance. We were speaking earlier about, you know, tolerance but now you can see, you know, how he, you know, how he, how he speaks about religion and, and uh, its interference in that. Um, so, I mean, we, we have uh, two more notions b before we finish. One is the political revolution and the sexual revolution. And the reason I mention this is that some m young Muslims... You know, you know when what what happened when uh, during during the Obama administration when the there was a there was a, a, a you know a social media trend a, a hashtag called Love Wins. Many many of the many of the Muslim youth, especially in the Arab world, they 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 kind of participated in that trend, um, and they saw that as a form of of tolerance and, uh, and, and freedom. Um, now, when, when we mention, and this is very problematic, when, when Chiyuch, when they speak about that there is a relationship between the sexual revolution and politics, usually, usually young Muslims, Muslim youth, they say, oh, this is conspiracy, right? There is no relationship between the two you know, love wins or things like that are not used for political aims. It's just mere freedom, mere tolerance. You know, there's no politics into it. But when we, um, if we, if you were to bring back the slides, when we, when we look at uh, at the at the words of Wilhelm Reich here, he says we must learn from the Russian Revolution that the economic revolution, the social ownership of the social of the social means of production and the political establishment of social democracy goes far 
directly hand in hand with a revolution in attitudes towards sexuality and in sexual relationships. Let me repeat that again. He says, the social ownership of the social means of production and the political establishment of social democracy goes automatically hand in hand with a revolution in attitudes towards sexuality and in sexual relationship. He says, like economic and political revolution, the sexual revolution must also be consciously comprehended and guided in a forward direction. So he did not see a separation between the, the, the social political revolution and the sexual revolution. In fact, he saw that the sexual revolution is, ne is a necessary prerequisite for the economic and political revolution. So when certain administrations, you know, use that, it, it, it's not for mere, you know, human rights and tolerance. There, there's, there are certain political agendas that, that, you know, that goes with it. Now, last but not least, we mentioned at the beginning how ideas have consequences. And maybe we spoke about in the, in the Answer to Modernism episode, we spoke about how metaphysics is connected to everything, basically. Now, Richard Williams, an author of, of Sex and Buildings, he speaks about the relationship between the sexual revolution and architecture. Right? And again, how you can see how philosophy influences everything, basically. So he, um, so he says, Richard Williams, he says, Californian modernists, meaning modernist architects, like things could condition the libido. He says that idea was given legitimacy, legitimacy by the maverick psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, whose work developed a cult following on his arrival in the U.S. in 1939. He says Reich's highly eccentric work linked sexuality and space in the most explicit way, principally through his invention of the organ energy accumulator metal we spoke about before. Yeah. A device that generated huge popular interest in the U.S., but also which led to his public downfall. So then he, he continues by saying, um, however, Reich's interest in uh, architectural space long predated the accumulator. He did not put it quite like that. He was no architect, but from the start, he considered the libido to be conditioned by the built environment. He was both drawn to spaces with erotic potential and drawn to create erotically charged spaces of his own design, including the organ accumulator. So now, um, 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 you know, with this architecture, if, if, if people Google neutral architecture and they can mm -hmm. look at the, the condos and the villas that are, you know, that are present in California um, and you know how you know how they're designed with small certain you know small pools. They're, these are not necessarily family pools where the kids can play with the parents. Right? These are pools that are designed for erotic relationships. Um, and these neutral, uh, you know, the, the 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 designs of these villas. I mean, again. And, and throughout the world now, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world, and also in the Muslim world and in the Arab world, you could see some of the some of the contemporary, more recent, you know, condominiums that are that are being established by real estate agencies. They don't realize that their architecture is is an architecture that was built on that kind of philosophy, right? So it, 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 it you know. 
yes, people try to accommodate a, a, a family within this type of architecture. But again, it's an architecture that was based on a philosophy. Um, and, and this is something that, I mean, when you look at mosques, for example, mm. they were built on a certain philosophy. You know, Jama' Sultan Hassan, for example, in Egypt, if, if you ever go to it, I mean, it, when, you, when you enter the mosque, you enter through a very... So, uh, through a narrow passage that is very dim, even if you're entering the mosque, you know, at the at, at noontime. But then once you get to the, you know, to the center of the mosque, it's open to the skies and you could find the glow, right? And, you know, there is a, a philosophy behind that, that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it struck me when I was in Alhambra, uh, um, you know, um, mosque uh, a, month, a month or so ago. You know, it, it, it's almost like paradise. It, it, it's meant to evoke this sense of, a beautiful garden it reminds you of god and tawhid and so on and how different that is in, in its conception from uh the uh what, what is it called uh the archaeology of this uh californian um uh, construction what's it neutra there we go neutra neutra yes yes if we, yes if we look that up we'll be able to see what you're talking about yeah very yeah interesting. and even i mean even the design of houses in the islamic you know tradition Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the center of the house where people can, you know, walk freely, you know, they don't have to, you know, be worried about somebody's, you know, you know, is kind of intruding their privacy would usually be from, from the center, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The outside, you have windows um, that people in the inside can see the outside, but not the other way around. Um, we, we, they, they, they call that in Arabic, it's a, it's a, a certain Arabesque. Uh, made of wood and and people can and and it also kind of defines the amount of light that enters and so on and so forth but i mean the 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 it, uh, the center of the house is where you know the kids or the family they can you know walk around freely people people are not intruding their privacy but you will see with neutra how he has glass windows that are from the you know bottom up right almost throughout the uh, almost throughout the house so people could actually you know but you know some of these houses they're you know uh, uh, excluded in a sense but again with certain pools again not like a family pool it's more of a a couple's pool so it's not really it's not really a house for to establish uh, like a, a family it's a, a warm home in a, in a sense um you know it, 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 again it it, it, it portrays the relationship of the family or the husband and wife, not as not as a husband and wife of a, in a family, but more of a you know sexual partners in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is the, the the ultimate goal of the relationship is to actualize you know the the emission and the reception of the organ, and nothing beyond. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Well. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. So I mean, it, it just see you can see how uh, how even in, in 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 such subtle things that this sexual evolution kind of manifests. Mm -hmm. And how and it's all coming to pass, as, as you say, the sexual revolution. This book, the, the very term itself, invented uh, uh, by this uh, person, you know, is now coming to pass in our societies, and it's having devastating consequences in terms of unhappiness, isolation. Uh, trans disease transmissions, what you mentioned, uh, that uh, which is now just routinely accepted that there should be, uh, you know, these sexually transmitted diseases, normal part of life, the breakdown of marriages, uh, and so on and so on. 
it's it's a a, a landscape of, of social and personal ruin for many many people um uh, but you, you brought in the important point about capitalism as well it's all connected also with the economic structures uh, of our society right. as well very very important point it's not just culture it's all interconnected as you say um and and we haven't gone into this in this video because we, we can't it's, it's too it's too too different but the islamic alternative uh, even historically, we're just looking at the Ottoman experience and so on. It's so different. And there's so much there that the West and we could all benefit from and just learning much more wholesome, healthy, uh, godly patterns of life, which facilitate real happiness, which is not based on genitals so much, but on, on deeper concerns of uh, peace and happiness with God uh, and, and so on. There's a much richer, deeper spiritual understanding of what it means to live in society and the west has just lost that it's, it's completely gone uh, but islam is the only alternative that i can realistically see on the horizon uh, offering the world a, a, an alternative to this so i think one day it will it will look to for healing uh, and restoration and wholeness in the muslim world if the muslim world can get its act together in the meantime and exactly i was saying if we if we can be ready for that well, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's also what, what one of your missions in life is, is to help prepare the world for this alternative, which is a very real, deep and tested alternative. It is something right. that has lived in the lives of countless millions of Muslims for centuries. Right. I mean, there is a, in, in that sense, there is empirical evidence. You know, <laughs> it, it, no, but it's interesting that you mentioned three, 300 years ago, this very interesting Sharia uh, ruling in uh, Al-Azhar in, in the Shafi school. Yeah, it's examples like that that really speak huge volumes, I think. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, some people don't. Uh, I, I mean, I find even 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 Muslims, you know, when they when they hear of this, they you know, they get really uh, get really astonished. Mm. Um that uh you know it's it's actually an, an obligation on the man you know to to mention that you know in the in the beginning of marriage that you know mm -hmm. any any sort of work that is done at home is um is something that you're that as a as a as a wife she's doing it uh she's doing you know uh extra than what is what is what is an obligation of the marriage mm -hmm. um but again, I think I mean coming back to because that was also that was also prior to the invasion of of of, of modern day capitalism in the Muslim world. Hmm. Um, but I mean, you could see I mean there were, there were more rights for women back then. But now the problems the problem is that in again in the Muslim world how to how to distangle in a sense you know this whole this whole thing because. Um, what what has been going on, unfortunately, with the invasion of capitalism? I know this is a little bit di diverged from our from our topic, but with the invasion of capitalism in the Muslim world, some of the some of the you could say effects of capitalism were 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 given you could say a religious cover, a religious packaging, mm -hmm. and this is what is. You know, we ha I mean, I get into discussions about about feminism and Islamic feminism and this and, and Muslim feminists and this and that. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I always say that, uh, uh, you know, the, because I mean, some 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 again, some people who are work in the religious discourse and preaching in the Muslim world, they're so alarmed by the, you know, by the increase of 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 Muslim women being more feminists in the, in, in the very Western sense of the idea. 
Um, and obviously, there's a whole spectrum. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I generalize, but I, I realize that there's a whole spectrum of feminism. But, but there's a rise in, in, in the feminist movements in the Muslim world. And this is something I learned from one of my teachers that actually w w what happened through the last century is that, m unfortunately, many, I'm not saying all, but many Muslim preachers, shiuch, they sort of, they, instead of defending women by Islam, they, they, they said, they say, we defend Islam, but they weren't willing to defend women by Islam. Like that Shafi'i jurist. 300 or, or actually over 300 years ago. Um, uh, it is over 300 years ago. So instead of, instead of trying to defend women by Islam, yeah. and there's a, there was a case of a, of a, of a Muslim uh, gr young lady who, who, was, who was raped by, by her uncle. And when she brought up the issue to her father, her father beat her up. So she went to the imam of the, of the mosque telling him that she wants to file a court case against her father and her uncle. He told her, if you do that, she's in the West. I, I will not mention the name of the, 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 the country. He told her, if you do that, if you take him to a court, this is a non-Muslim court, and you'd be seeking aid from a non-Muslim over a Muslim, and that's an act of disbelief. Mm -hmm. So he was, and, and, and you were, you were, you were, you're asking for secular intervention in Muslim affairs and this and that. So the, that woman, that young girl, she or young lady, she she saw that imam or that sheikh. He's more concerned about you know Islam than to defend her by Islam. Yeah, and justice is justice, of course. Whether it's done by a Jewish court or a Christian court or a Muslim court or a, a, a secular court, justice is justice, and if it can be obtained, uh, anyway. Yeah. And, and, and and same thing, I apologize, but if you'd allow me, I mean, same thing happened also, you know, in the in the West. I mean, I, I, you know, as you know, I, I grew up in high school in in the U.S. And I saw firsthand examples of immigrant families. They give more rights to, you know, to the boys more than the girls. So the boy can marry a non-Muslim, but the girl has to marry her cousin from back home. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though I mean, she's she she came to the U.S. for example as a five years old, you know, four years old, or it was even born in the U.S. She has a different culture. She's been exposed to different education. She has different ambitions in life. She, maybe she went to an Ivy League school, and the guy is less educated than her, has a different culture, but she has to marry her cousin. And there was that sense, you know, you know, some some immigrant families they wouldn't they would allow the the, the boy to marry. Uh, a non-Muslim, or to marry a convert, but when but the girl would not do that, even if it's a convert, mm -hmm. right? The reason I'm saying this because now I've been seeing a trend between Muslim guys, Muslim men. They're you know they're do, they're taking the complete opposite extreme from feminism. Yeah. Um, so it's we go back. Pendulum is always swinging, isn't it? Just from one extreme to the other extreme. Uh, and of course, uh, Islam is the moderate path, the path of the middle way. It's not the path of extremes. So I guess we're seeing kind of a, a human or some humans anyway, a, a kind of pendulum from one extreme to the other, which means it's not a stable place. It's a reaction. Right, right. <coughs> so um, and, and the reason I'm, I'm mentioning these issues, because Wilhelm Reich in his book, he, he emphasizes on the, on the rights of women. So you can see mm. that his he not that, that his sexual revolution is not too far away from feminism. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you uh, for that. And, uh, you know, I said in the introduction that your work is centered on addressing contemporary philosophical challenges through the lenses of the Islamic tradition. And I think it's a really important work you're doing, and I, I wish you well in it, and uh, all power to you, um, in educating us and, bring, and bringing uh, the, the deeper issues involved, rather than, as you said before, you know, the halal or haram issues are, are real, but there's, there's a whole other dimension there which we need to become aware of, rather than simply seeing it in legal terms, but understanding the substructure, the philosophical, metaphysical underpinnings of what's going on around the world uh, in our lives so this is a really important work you're doing and, uh, and thank you very much indeed uh, again for your um, slightly disturbing introduction to this Austrian guy I don't mean your introduction is disturbing but the man is slightly disturbing uh, there's a lot we didn't touch in his life you can look it up online um, uh, I think it'll be it will be accurate to say that most of his colleagues ended up thinking he was insane I mean that's the word that's been used um, so he was um, not perhaps insane at the beginning, but the end of his life, um, right. he'd literally gone mad. Um, and that just reminded me people like Nietzsche as well, a brilliant, you know, thinker, um, a prophet of modernity in some ways, postmodernism, um, early years, a fantastic scholar who just went insane, um, literally. Um, and I don't know if that's intrinsic to the process they went through or for some other reasons, I don't know. But um, anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, and you could see, like, I felt there is, I mean, his, again, what happened to him as a child kind of maybe mm. really affected, you know, his whole life afterwards. You know, I don't know, like, how how he used to internalize what happened, you know, the, the, his his mother's suicide mm. afterwards. You know, maybe why people who committed suicide in his life. Uh, because, well, sort of because of him as well. This wasn't a one-off view, a one-off uh, thing. There were other people who, uh, wives and so on, who killed themselves. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it got worse actually. This wasn't just in his childhood. Um, I mean, uh, to be to be honest, one of the reasons. Uh, I mean, I'm saying this now, but one of the reasons that I didn't really delve into all the details. I mean, on one hand, that would take a lot of time. Yeah. Um, also. You know, because people might say, okay, this is an ad hominem, you're attacking the person, yeah. right? So there we go. You know, we just, <laughs> we talked about the issues as they were raised in his books. Yeah. Um, and you're right, you know, I mean, it was his ideas that had a big, uh, a big influence. So Foucault, I mentioned, uh, right. you know, credits him with a big influence. So this is on the intellectual level. And we see a top-down, trickle-down effect culturally from these extraordinarily powerful ideas, potent ideas in the West. And how ultimately, as, as you've shown very clearly, how our culture has been affected by them. So, yeah, we, we, we can, you know, these things, ad hominem things do matter because they're so momentous in his life. But there's also the purely ideological, philosophical issues, which did have an impact, regardless of his, how many people he helped, was implicated in suicides or whatever. That's a different subject, right? Anyway, thank you very much indeed, Sheikh, for your time. Fantastic presentation. I really hope a lot of people benefit from it and learn the lessons. And one day, inshallah, maybe we can talk about Islamic alternatives to this um, sure. story because there is, a, there is a much better story to be told, I think. Correct. Correct. I agree. Thank you so much for having me again. And uh, alhamdulillah, I hope it, you know, the viewers will find uh, the interview and the presentation today to be beneficial. Inshallah. Thank you so much for having me. Take it. Oh, pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.